Hey Door of Hope, I'm Emily Dauber and I'm here with you from my home. I'm going to be reading the scripture today and our scripture today is Romans 12 verses 1 through 21. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Lord, uh, we just come to you and we thank you for guidance and direction. We thank you, Lord, that we have your sweet spirit to empower us, Lord, to do the things that you've asked. Um, we thank you, Lord, um, that you call us to love more deeply than we naturally would. Um, and we just ask you, Lord, today that you would give us the strength and the power to answer your call. And God, we ask not just that, but we would answer your call. Um, fully in relationship with you, Lord, that we would just give ourselves fully to you as a sacrifice. Um, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for community and for showing us how to live well in community. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's Cameron. It's really good to be with you. Um, in our last week of the Disciplines of Grace, uh, if you've been tracking along with us, we've been spending the last five weeks working through this series uh, where we're looking at just kind of some really key foundational core spiritual disciplines um, that are that exist to help us sort of 
commune with the Lord, find relational time for him, but to build them into habits that over time he would meet us in these things and transform us, that we'd both know him and become more like him, all sort of trying to constantly remind ourselves that this is all motivated by grace, empowered by grace, it's sustained by grace. Uh, It's not something, none of these things are things that we do to earn the favor of God. That's where uh, religion always wants to take our hearts. That's where, that's what we're used to. Um, But the gospel is so different. It, it, It claims that God has already loved us and he's shown that love most fully in sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. Um, and because of that great love he's already shown to us when we respond to it in faith, we then uh, have the privilege and the honor and, and, and over time the desire to actually follow after him. Um, and part of that is by engaging with him, like communing with him and communing with neighbor through these disciplines. Um, so that's the series. And uh, most of the weeks we've kind of started with a little bit of a kind of, hey, here's, here's why that's, this is important. And a lot of that's all been um, similar. It's been a variation on the same theme that we live in a uniquely challenging time uh, for maintaining close connection to Christ, but not only that, for maintaining um, sort of uh, fidelity to him and and commitment to him, commitment to his teachings, commitment to what he's revealed about himself, um, and commitment to, again, showing up for relational connection in a way that's going to change us over time. Uh, we've talked about the fact that we live uniquely in our culture with, with its, especially with its technologies, just a character forming machine. That's what we live in. Um, and so if we're not going to just be swept away by the culture or swept away by every wind of doctrine, to, to use the biblical word, or even to use the passage that we're going to look at today that we've already had read for us, if we're not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world, um, we want to lean into those gracious avenues the Lord has given us. And I remember last week I, I, I shared, I'm sure it's going to come up again and again and again, this book has been fascinating. I shared a bit from the book Strange Rights by Tara Isabella Burton um, and talked a bit about this, you know, sort of, uh, it's always been around, but it's a very powerfully resurgent um, idea right now of this kind of remixed religion where people are picking and choosing sort of the things from various religions and philosophies and worldviews and on and on and on. Um, cobbling together different elements and essentially forming their own religions that are just personally tailored to the things that resonate with them, per, you know, personally. And I, something I didn't really emphasize when I talked about this last week um, was the fact that uh, many, 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 many Christians um, have have sort of given themselves over to this kind of remixed religion. Um, the same the same polls that that Burton referenced that talked about. Um, how people were kind of constructing these religious identities. Um, for 30% about of, of professed Christians talked about believing in ideas like reincarnation and psychic energy and things that uh, are just not, not part of the Christian worldview at all. It's a problem for all of us. And I'm guessing if all of us are honest with ourselves, there's pieces of the teachings of Jesus um, as they've been understood throughout history that we go, ooh, I, I, I bristle at that. I'm uncomfortable with that. that. Or maybe that doesn't personally resonate with me or that doesn't seem important to me. 
we're all tempted, even those of us who, who consider ourselves, like, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm following after him, to shave off the parts that don't make us um, comfortable. Um, and what we hopefully will do as a community over time is be the kind of community that makes us love and trust Jesus so much that we're willing to set those things down, those, those, those concessions we're trying to make that we'll get rid of them and that we will give ourselves over to Jesus wholeheartedly because we can trust him and because he's worth it and not, not surrender to religions of our own making, uh, which, which seem like a good idea in the moment. Uh, they, they promise much. Uh, we promise much to ourselves, uh, but they're not rooted in reality. Um, so that's not what we want. We want the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Christ. And so this leads us into the final discipline we'll discuss. And I've said it before, um, but these are, of course, not the only five important spiritual disciplines or avenues for connection with God. Um, there are many more we could talk about. There are many more that would be good and beneficial for all of us to, to make regular practices. Um, but these were the five that just, just seem scripturally uh, and historically to be just some of the most bedrock ones that if we could just commit ourselves to the Lord in these ways, we're confident that um, others would follow probably, but that he would, he would have his way deeply with us as individuals and as a community. And so the fifth one we're going to talk about is the discipline of community. Um, and I don't know how much you've thought of community as a spiritual discipline, uh, but I, I hope by the end of this that you will think of it as such uh, from a number of different angles. And when talking about community, we could, we could do another look at the 60 one another passages of the New Testament, which we've, we've done before recently, so we're not going to do that again, but that'd be a valid way to do it. Um, we could look at the birth of, ch of the church in Acts 2. Uh, where the author Luke tells us that the early Christians, quote, devoted themselves uh, to various things to build up that early Christian community. But, you know, we, uh, we looked at that back in September, a church in the park. Uh, we could look at Hebrews 10, the passage we actually just looked at a few weeks ago as a one-off uh, that has the command to not neglect meeting together. That, that sounds to me like very, very discipline-oriented language, not neglect meeting together. Uh, but we've already done that one. So today, we've got another passage um, we haven't looked at as a community yet in our, in our year together. Um, we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 through 21, which you've already had read for you. I, I want to look at the first two verses that kind of set this thing up. I'm, I'm guessing if, if you've been a Christian for some time, you're familiar with this verse, or these two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We'll pause there for a minute. So we talked about these two verses when we kicked off this series, but, but there it is again. Um, and in, in, in the context of Romans, after all these sort of doctrinal lessons that, that Paul has given them in this letter, he turns his attention to two obligations in these verses that fall on every Christian. One, offer your whole selves to Christ sacrificially. And we see that both offering your bodies, your body is not unimportant to God. Your body is created by him. He values it. It's not sub-spiritual. It's deeply important. And you are to offer it, if you're a disciple of him, 
to him. But then he also talks about the mind being transformed and renewed so that we can discern. So these things together speak of this whole person kind of discipleship to Jesus, body and mind, uh, where spirit as well. I'm sure that's an implication there. Um, So the and he says here, the opposite of this, the opposite of, of offering yourself, your whole body as a sacrifice and having your mind transformed and renewed is to be conformed to the world. Um, and being unable then to discern God's will, being unable then to recognize the good, the acceptable, the perfect. So that's what's at stake here. And I also want to note that when he says be transformed, that's a passive verb. Note that it doesn't say transform yourself. Uh, and that's a theme hopefully we've, we've made clear throughout the series. The goal is not to transform yourself through these. We can't do it. And no matter how many times you get up early in the morning and read your Bible and pray or whatever, um, you are not going to transform yourself. But we throw our feet, ourselves at the feet of Jesus in hope and trust that he will meet us there and transform us. We would be transformed, allow ourselves to be transformed by him. Give him opportunity to transform us. Secondarily, um, when you when he uses that word worship and sacrifice here, people people would have definitely thought in Paul's day that he's talking about the kind of temple worship system, the formalized ritualistic system. But note here that that Paul urges that that worship and sacrifice is part of every waking moment. If it's true that it's about your whole self being given over then it's never, it's not simply about just you know, like sort of going and checking off sort of a spiritual and religious event. Um, okay, I, I made my sacrifice to the temple. Okay, I went to the thing. Okay, I'd done my sort of spiritual duty. It's whole person. And if that's true, uh, if it's true that we are to offer ourselves every waking moment, then we can recognize every moment is spiritual and there's no longer uh, really a category for us as followers of Jesus of the secular sort of disconnected from him activity in our lives. Um, that's important. So, okay, we're not going to spend all our time here, but if that is what Paul, Paul has kind of culminated in as he's gotten to Romans 12, he says, here's what we need to do. We need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices and allow our minds to be transformed, not conformed to the world. How do we do this? What pragmatically do we do? It's, you know, the biblical authors are certainly not against giving pragmatic advice for, okay, how do we, how do we walk in this? What's the secret, Paul? Tell us. Um, how can we actually sacrifice or discipline ourselves to hopefully see God do this kind of work in us? Well, where he goes next might surprise you, especially because we often hear these two verses kind of yanked from their context. Um, I know that I have many, many, many times. Um, he goes to another place that's somewhat mundane that we often don't think of as sort of a highly spiritual um, kind of thing. He goes to community. He goes to community. And he, he talks about, at least the way I see it, at least three aspects of community in broad categories. The first is this call to humble participation in verses three through eight. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And we've, we've actually already, in, even in this series, talked a bit about spiritual gifts and, and how you know, we ought to lean into them, especially in the context of a discipline of service. Um, we've talked about the fact that God gifts people uniquely uh, for certain tasks that they're just going to like really thrive in and give themselves over to. But that doesn't mean that all of us aren't called to even the very same things that some people are particularly gifted at. But for our purposes today, um, I just want to highlight a little bit here. In this discussion of spiritual gifts, which echoes what Paul says in a handful of other passages, he talks about the fact that the spiritual gifts and functions within the church community are given by God, not earned by human effort. And we see a few really important ideas here. First is the diversity in gifts and roles. That he, he gives freely to different people, different gifts. Not, no two people are going to serve the church in the exact same way, with the exact combination of gifts. There's a variety of functions that all exist to make the church community healthy. But even though there's a diversity of gifts, what's maybe more scandalous than that is that there's equality in dignity and value of those gifts. So they're different, but no one has the right to, to begrudge anyone else because they don't have like cooler, sexier gifts. I don't, I don't know what a sexy spiritual gift is. We'll have to think about that. Uh, but but um, there is equality in the value that each brings. They're totally different. Some are more up front, some are more behind the scenes, some get more sort of worldly acclaim, others get less, uh, but none of that matters in the heart of God. He's gifted people how he wills, and there's deep dignity and equality in that gifting, whatever it may be. And then third, he, he speaks of, the, of unity and purpose or mission. We all have our eyes fixed the same direction. That's building up the body of Christ. It's it's uh, making His kingdom known. It's being ambassadors. It's being witnesses. It's love. It, it's all the things we've been talking about. Um, it's glorifying Christ, and that is the, the the unity that unifies this diversity of sort of equal gifts, right there. So we have all those hinted at this in this passage. Or explored more detail in some of Paul's other teachings on spiritual gifts. But this, this reminds us of a couple things. First, this teaching reminds us to be humble <laughs> in, when we think about ourselves in light of the church community and to reject the idea that any one of us alone is sufficient to make the church function as it should. I'm not. Um, if, the, if the door of Hope Northeast was merely dependent on my gifts and the things I could do or the things I could accomplish in a given month or week or year or whatever, we are doomed. <laughs> we really, and I'm not trying to be falsely humble here. We are. Um, none of us has what it takes to make a healthy church community. Um, not you and not me. Um, this reminds us that our, of our dependency on others and on the Lord. Uh, for his purposes to be accomplished. It reminds us that we need the church. No man and no woman can, can healthily be an island unto themselves. But on the other side, it also gives us a holy confidence. Isn't it funny how so many of these commands and ideas in the scriptures do this? They cut us both ways. Um, it gives us a holy confidence, which is different from pride. I want to be very clear. Holy confidence is not 
sinful pride. But we'll, we'll call it a, a holy confidence to reject the idea that you have nothing to contribute. It reminds us that every one of us has something genuinely important to bring to the table of God's community. And so a proper understanding and experience of Christian community should both wound our pride and build our holy confidence at the same time. And that's really amazing. So that's the first piece. Um, He talks about this call to humble participation, Um, pride killing, but confidence boosting at the same time. Secondly, the second big thing in verses nine through 16, he talks about this call to family. I'm going to call it a call to family love. And I just want to read this. He says, verse nine, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And we'll pause there. This, friends, is a deep and rich teaching on the kind of love relationship that ought to exist amongst God's people. And I'm not even going to belabor that point. I've heard it. (laughs) so many times already just in this series alone the call to love God and love neighbor stands behind everything else uh, every other demand of the Christian life and this I I believe verse 9 let love be genuine you could view as kind of the heading statement and then all these other things he says are fleshing out what does that actually look like to genuinely love one another in the Christian community um and it, it's, it's crazy. I just, I'm actually just going to read it again. I, 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 I think this is so powerful and we don't have time to break these phrases down, you know, sort of uh, phrase by phrase. Um, so I just want to let, I just want to let, again, the weight of what Paul is saying here kind of sit on us. So, so let, me, let me read this one more time. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. And I don't know if you noticed this, but there's, there's a challenging mundaneness or mundanity of this discipline, the discipline of community, maybe more than any of the other ones we've talked about. Because often I, I, my, my guess is that you probably think of things, especially like scripture and prayer and, and other disciplines that might kind of fall into that category. They're kind of plainly sort of spiritual activities. 
Um, and that's, I mean, for good reason. That, that, that's where we listen to God and His Word and speak to God in prayer. And in combination, it's so powerful and beautiful and relational with the God of the universe. Um, evangelism is kind of similar in that, you know, even if you hadn't been thinking of it as a spiritual discipline, you recognize, oh my gosh, I'm at least talking about the good news. Like the good news that the, the Messiah came to bring. And, 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 and talking about the things of God with someone and inviting them into this sort of imag- unimaginably beautiful and sacred and profound saving relationship with the God of the universe in grace. <laughs> so that's clearly there's something spiritual going on there. Service is probably a little more grounded. We've talked about that one, but but I would even say most of us would probably recognize kind of the beauty and the way we reflect the heart of God when we serve. Just that idea that, yes, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. There's a, there's a deep spiritual beauty about serving people. Um, but community, <laughs> does that seem that spiritual to you? <clears throat> even things like hey, weeping with those who weep. And rejoicing with those who rejoice. Does that seem spiritual to you? When you're a a loving, empathetic, sympathetic listener? When you're a shoulder to cry on? When you celebrate with your brothers and sisters? Does that seem spiritual? What about living in harmony with one another? Is there anything spiritual in that? Isn't that just kind of like normal stuff that goes on in the background in between crises? This is almost shockingly mundane, some of what Paul is saying here about the Christian community. And there's a lesson there (laughs) because it's actually in the ordinariness of our average days um, and and in the ordinariness, specifically in this case, of, of, of our time with our Christian community that we often find out what we have actually really believed and internalized about the life that God has called us to. And I love this quote from, from the Screwtape Letters. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, well, if, if you don't know that book, it's C.S. Lewis, uh, amazing C.S. Lewis book, written from the perspective of an older kind of demon training, sending these letters to a younger demon in training. And so it's, uh, it's, but it's brilliant. So here's the words Lewis puts in the words of, of the senior demon here. He says, keep his mind off the most elementary of duties by directing it to the most advanced and spiritual ones. Aggravate that most useful of human characteristics, the horror and neglect of the obvious. He says, he, we're skipping ahead, but he says, I have had patients of my own so well in hand that they could be turned at a moment's notice from impassioned prayer for a wife's or a son's soul to beating or insulting the real wife or the real son without a qualm. He captures something really profound there in our, in our abil- weird ability to separate our kind of spiritual lives and, and kind of the lofty spiritual practices that we try to engage in from the real stuff of day-to-day life in the family of God. We end up becoming monstrous. And, and it, for many of us, it makes sense. We could pray these beautiful prayers for someone, but then when the moment comes when we're face-to-face, we're savage to them. <laughs> it's very, very, very common. Um, and it's, it's actually in the simple, unflashy, 
life of the Christian community where we actually bring what we really think about Jesus and what he's calling us into the real world of these day-to-day relationships. Community is both a revealer and a sharpener, and we need it to be both so we can confess and repent our sin and so that we can be changed, so we can be transformed. Both of these sides of this are important. And this is a high bar. I encourage you this week to go back and read through Romans 12. Just, just the whole, That's what we're looking at, the whole chapter. And let it just, just do its work in your heart and in your mind. Let it, let it stir up your imagination for what Christian life could look like. I'm guessing if you're like me, you're going to feel inadequate in the face of it. I know that I do when I consider what my life in actual Christian community most often looks like. So that's the call to family love. Third and final aspect of this is the call to radical forgiveness. We'll read verses 17 through 21. Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. End of the chapter. And many commentators see this last section um, as, as sort of related to antagonistic outsiders or persecutors or whatever, but um, not all of them do. I, I think it's probably meant this whole section to apply to relationships both inside and outside the church community. Of course, we wouldn't expect someone from within our own church community to persecute us, to use the language of Paul. That's probably speaking to someone outside the community, but nonetheless, there will be people Uh, or I should say there will be plenty of opportunity for Christians to hurt one another. (laughs) If we're actually in community, if we're actually close enough to one another, like the scriptures talk about, there will be plenty of opportunity to hurt someone and be hurt by someone uh, and the need to be forgiven and to forgive. What, What he's getting at here is that relationships, both inside and outside the church, are always opportunities to be wounded because they're always interactions with sinners. (laughs) Always. No person we're going to meet that's not a sinner. Um, And they bring opportunities to practice forgiveness. And that is important um, because we are commanded time and time again in the scriptures by the grace and power of God to cultivate a heart of forgiveness towards others. Because of the great forgiveness we've been shown by Christ, it ought to transform our hearts to be able to offer that same forgiveness to others. Um, if the God of the universe and all his perfect holiness can forgive us who have rebelled against him, uh, I sure hope I can forgive someone who, who, who faults me in all the usually petty ways, uh, that I feel grieved by. You know, there's, there's this unattributed quote. I, I tried to look up where it came from. You've probably heard it before. Um, I, I, I couldn't find it. Maybe, maybe some, some of you know where it comes from. But this idea that you are never more like God than when you forgive. I, wanna, I don't want to speak that hyper-dogmatically. Maybe, maybe there, someone can make a case for, for something else. But certainly it's deeply real and true and, and important to know that when you forgive the sins of your neighbor, uh, 
um, you are reflecting Jesus in a deeply profound way. And community gives us the opportunity to do that. If we hide and, uh, and, and avoid those around us, we will never have the opportunity to grow in this. We just won't. It takes actually being hurt and, and, and <laughs> sadly, actually hurting other people and needing to go and ask forgiveness to have our souls softened in this way that conform us more to something so central to the heart and character and nature of God. So there you go. Paul starts Romans 12 with this call to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Both of these that we might avoid the very natural course of life in this world, which is to be conformed to this world. That's how Paul starts. But where he goes is with things we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Community. That's not the only answer to this, but, but isn't it interesting to know that's where Paul goes. Invest yourself in the life of the community. Weep with those who weep. Love, serve, pray, be humble. Use your gifts, but recognize the beauty of other people's gifts. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Don't take vengeance. Entrust that to the Lord. He's the only one fit to judge. These are the kinds of things that have deep spiritual impact and, and, and there are opportunities, every one of them, to commune with God <laughs> and allow him to transform us. So there you go. That, that's, that's one passage of many, many, many we could go to to talk about the call to invest ourselves in Christian community. It's this, uh, a quote I just love. Josh White used to say all the time, I'm sure he still does, but we were not saved into a vacuum. We were saved into a community. You could say we were saved into the family of God. The New Testament knows nothing of the sort of Rambo style rogue Christian sort of trying to operate on their own apart from the Christian community, namely the church. Um, so that leads us. That's the call. We'll, we'll end here. Hopefully just a few minutes on the discipline of community. What does it look like to view community as a spiritual discipline? Um, well, it, it again, it makes me think of the text we look at. We looked at at the end of December, uh, Hebrews ten twenty four through twenty five, which says, "Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." And we talked about it before. I'll just say quickly what this means is don't neglect the gathering together. <laughs> Commit yourselves to it. Commit yourself to relationship, to getting with other believers. I believe it's fair to say an implication of this is discipline yourself toward community. Um, go back and listen to that message if you haven't. It, it, it does complement this one really well. That was just a few weeks back. But pra very pragmatically, when we think about a discipline of community, I would just put two big categories before you. You know, it's, it's right and proper to think of the church in, in these two big, from these two big lenses. One is that the church as an institution, um, the church as a formalized structure kind of thing, uh, where there's leadership and there's a doctrine and there's events that we have and, and programs that we call people to and, and practices that we try to embrace communally. 
And then it's also very necessary to think of church as an organism or as an organic entity, something that just happens as the spirit is moving and as people are getting in one another's lives and, and, and relationships are developing and no one can programmatize what's going to come out and what kind of fruit is going to happen and what ways people are going to get involved in one another's lives. And so they're both important. Um, you, you lop off either side of that equation and you're, you're going to be in trouble. Um, those two things working together and in balance is beautiful, beautiful. So first, let me just talk about the institutional side um, of, of the church. First, I would just talk about, you know, especially I know thing, all of this stuff has kind of an asterisk by it, COVID time. So some of it will just apply very calmly and directly. Some of it you're like, okay, that I can conceptualize this a little better whenever things are somewhat more normal. Um, but first is Sunday gatherings. Like, do you do you view the the attendance of the Sunday worship gathering, uh, or your your house church, or whatever, or just gathering with a couple of people um, organically during this time as a spiritual discipline? We try to use the word gathering specifically uh, instead of service, although it's not wrong to talk about a church service. We use the word gathering to communicate more accurately like what's happening here. It's a, it's a unique and uniquely powerful time to gather our whole church community together, to sing praise, to hear the scriptures read and taught, to hear the gospel, to take communion, to serve one another in various ways, to pray, and, and to do all these things um, crucially, crucially together. <laughs> together. That's the beauty and the power of the Sunday gathering, because we know you can listen to better teachers on other podcasts and more dynamic video services or whatever. But when the people of God gather together around Christ and doing these things specifically together, hearing one another, seeing, seeing, seeing one another stand, um, greeting one another, hanging out, creating relational avenues then and there, um, something deeply powerful happens. And so it's important. Just the act of, of showing up <laughs> for the worship gathering is a spiritual discipline. And it's one that many of us are out of exercise with right now in the COVID times. Um, we've said more about that. We will talk more about it again, but um, just note that that is not separate from your spiritual life. It's a discipline. Secondarily, I would just plug for our church specifically, community groups. Um, we, we recognize that it is difficult for us to get in the, the kind of proximity with one another necessary to actually live out the various commands of scripture related to how we do community, uh, how we love one another in practical terms. Like the Sunday gathering just isn't going to make that happen. Have, have you noticed that? Sunday gatherings, I'm just, I just spent five minutes talking about why the Sunday gathering is important, but it can't do all that the scriptures command us to do, which is why we always want to be putting forward these small group relationships, namely community groups, as a crucial, vital, just as important, if, and, and more important in some ways, less important in others, as the Sunday gathering. Um, Community groups are every bit as crucial to the health and faithfulness of Door of Hope Northeast um, as the Sunday worship <laughs> gathering. Um, so we ask you to commit if you're part of this church. We ask you to commit, to view it as a discipline. I, and it, believe me, it takes discipline. There are nights when you're like, 
man, I would prefer not to <laughs> for various reasons. But we, we seek to discipline ourselves to show up, commit ourselves to these people, to be known and to know them around the Lord, to see what he does with that. To have a shot at living out the, the beautiful one another vision that the New Testament lays out. And then the third on the kind of institutional side is just the ongoing life of the church. And, you know, we, one of our four pillars, uh, one of the ones I'm deeply appreciative of is the pillar of simplicity. And that means several things, but, but at least one is that we, we don't desire to be an over-programmatized church. We're, we're never going to be a kind of church that just has a program for any and everything. Uh, we have... We have lots of programs, actually. Community groups is a program. We have things like, but beyond that, book clubs, service opportunities, prayer meetings, change groups, hopefully before too long. Uh, we do the family meetings like we just had uh, this past week um, and, and other things that go on. We try hard not to over-program our church because we want you, we don't want all of your life to get eaten up with formalized church activity. We want to, there to be room for the um, organic stuff of 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 the life of the church and also over time with people who aren't here as if we're going to have any hope of, of, sh of sharing the good news uh, with people who don't know the Lord. Um, and so we try hard not to overprogram our church and we know that even still not everyone can or should attend every program or event that we do have. Like just hear, hear me acknowledge that. But committing to just participating in some degree in just the various things that go on in the life of our church is vital. Consider it a discipline. Even when you're like, oh, I don't want to do this right now, discipline yourself after it. I believe the fruit of it is real and is powerful. So that's the institutional side, at least some of the things we could say about that. I just want to briefly talk about the organic side as well. And one of the one of the great benefits actually of committing to the the, the structured things of the church is that um, it creates an avenue for relationship that then spills out endlessly organically into a community life that no one could program and that no program could actually even hope to achieve. The connections that you make with one another in the body of Christ are so deep and profound. Um, at least they can be if, if we really give ourselves over to them. Um, they have a, a, an opportunity to change us, to, to give us opportunity to, to do all the things we just read about in Romans 12. Um, and that's our hope is that by, by committing to the formalized life of the church, um, rela real relationships would form that then, you know, just bleed out into our lives in ways that no one can tell you to do, you know, like showing up for people in their darkest moments meeting their needs, uh, being close enough to hear and even understand and know what their needs are. Um, we them when they weep, rejoicing when they rejoice. That can happen in the formalized settings, but uh, so often it, it, it really takes off um, at people's just own private, personal initiative. And that's what we want. We, we don't want every good and beautiful and spiritual thing that happens at our church to only be the things that we've programmatically set aside time for. We want you as the community, us all as the community, to just be with one another around Jesus and to go where the Spirit leads. Um, so, I just want to hold that up. What does it look like? I don't know. 
<laughs> it's organic. Um, it's it's uh, it's natural. Um, it's not pre-planned. Um, but we we just hope and trust that God will make it a vital part of this community. Um, and so just to wrap up in, in COVID time, I know it's a weird time for community. And, uh, and there are many of us uh, who are many of you who are just have been fighting tooth and nail to stay connected to the degree that you're, you're safe, uh, feel safe doing so. Some of that's been in person in house churches and community groups. Um, you've started to attend the, the Sunday gatherings. We have our next one next Sunday, by the way. Uh, please uh, join us if you, if you feel ready to. We'd love to have you come worship with us next Sunday, first Sunday of the month at the, at the building at 10. And it, and it looks different for, for everybody. We know everyone has different needs, family situations. Um, yeah, yeah, we recognize that. Um, but I suppose the call is, if, if there are things that you in principle are open to doing in terms of committing to the community of Door of Hope Northeast right now that you're not doing, um, well, we ask you to commit. Like now's the time. It, it, you know, thinking thinking about like, oh, just when things go back to normal, when I don't have to wear a mask, whenever you know, it's, you know, I don't know, people won't be so distant or this or that. Um, like we we could spend our whole lives <laughs> waiting for for life to go back to normal. Whenever Jesus wants us to invest fully in Him and in one another now, every day. Um, and again, that's not to say there aren't good reasons um, to, to play it safe, for, uh, to play it extra safe for many of us. Um, but to the degree that you're comfortable, but you're not engaging, I just want to challenge that right now to lean into community, to consider it a discipline before the Lord that he might use to radically, radically shape you and reveal himself to you. That's the call. And as always, we want to end on a note of grace. If that's you uh, or, what, or whatever, if any aspect of this teaching of thinking about community is challenging you, it's convicting to you, if you realize uh, that you've, you've just not valued this or whatever I want you to hear, um, if you are in Christ, there is grace upon grace upon grace for you. And I know that the thing that's going to motivate any sort of lasting commitment to the life of the church, the life in community, life together, is not um, berating you, uh, but it's coming to taste the grace of the Lord. Saying because He is so good, I do want to. I do want to be obedient. He's shown me this great love. He's shown me this great forgiveness. He's shown me this incredible mercy and grace. I want to follow after Him. He says community is important. Okay, okay, then it's going to be important to me too. And Lord, forgive me when I shrink from it. Uh, and, and by your grace and empowerment of your spirit, give me energy and give me, give me what it takes to commit. Give me what it takes to commit to uh, my people. Um, so there you go. Discipline of community. I don't know if you thought about it as a discipline, but I hope you will now. Both that something that you can commit yourself to, something that the Lord will meet you in. And something that even though it seems mundane, um, is spiritual, is profound, is important, has the opportunity to, to shape you into the kind of person Jesus wants to shape you into, like few other things in this world and in this life.
So the call is to lean in. May we be a people of Door of Hope Northeast who are committed to community, who are committed to witness, who are committed to scripture, who are committed to service, who are committed to prayer. And there's other things we're going to call ourselves to commit to, but not less than those. So that's our prayer. Um, May we do it. Amen. Amen.